afternoon and you know i want to let's do let's do one of those uh like magical scenes in the tv show where things sort of go and we end up in 1995 where i'm wearing um i'm wearing a visor one of those like golfer visors right uh i'm playing solitary on my on my giant 800 pound macintosh computer with a dial-up modem uh, there's this, I'm blown away by the screensavers. All the screensavers look like they're out of Lawnmower Man. And uh, Mr. Boombastic is playing in the background. That's a Shaggy song, I think one of his hits. And uh, I'm, I'm rocking Jinko jeans. You know, like the type that when it's raining outside, they, they soak up the water all the way past your ankle. Oh, absolutely, to your knee. Because they're, they're flared out. Yep. When I stood up, I looked like an isosceles triangle. They basically look like ball gowns for dudes. <laughs> and uh, and on the table next to my computer is a, is a Washington Post, and it's opened up to the Unabomber's Manifesto. 35,000. 35,000. 35,000 yep. words. And, um, and I'm, I'm being uh, titillated and scandalized uh, by the recent news that Drew Barrymore, the it girl at the moment, uh, has just flashed David Letterman on his birthday. So, it's 1995. It is that that is 1995 in a nutshell. That's the whole thing. So, <laughs> yeah, we were both in high school. Yep, I was in uh, I think sophomores. Yeah, sounds about right. It was yeah, just out there, just young. I had a skateboard, just living life, carefree kind of. Yeah, well, you know, rent was paid for. Rent was definitely rent and food were <laughs> the most part, and the, the taken fr- care of. The fridge was always full of cheddar cheese. And uh, there was some some wheat bread, uh, so I could make my own grilled cheese sandwiches. That was a staple. You made a lot of grilled cheese sandwiches in the in the mid nineties. Uh, uh, grilled cheese sandwiches, uh, thin sliced tomatoes. I always put those in the middle of my grilled cheese sandwich. Like and gourmand uh, oh, grilled cheese sandwiches. I slathered the outside of my grilled cheese with uh, spicy brown mustard. Wow, so you were getting involved. Yeah, you know, I really tried to I tried to add the frills. The opposite of no frills. Of a, fr- a full frill. Full, full frill sandwiches. Full on frill sandwiches. And uh, I remember, uh, so th- I, would, I would come home from school, I'd put on videos, I'd watch the videos on TV. Mariah Carey's Fantasy mm-hmm. was always playing with ODB. Right, or at the mall where you were buying, at Shredders and Wheaton, where you were buying your <laughs> giant fucking pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, hanging out yeah. at the Wheaton Mall. And, uh, oh, you know, so it's, I listened to a lot of Bone Thugs. It was the first Did you of the really month. listen to Bone Thugs? That's how I found out about uh, welfare. You get your welfare checks the first of the month. First of the month. Yeah, right. that was, uh, that, <laughs> that song changed people's, uh, people's perspective on welfare. <laughs> it was a polarizing song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Chris Rock had a line about it in um, Bring the Pain. Oh, yeah, welfare carols. Yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> they're yep. singing it's the first of the month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, TLC was rocking Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls. A lot of pop boys to men, top of the charts. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh the but you know, I I also was listening to a lot of um like singer-songwriter ladies. There Were was you? a little Alanis Morris that was out she there. She was very popular then. With you want to know. Mhm. And uh and then I remember I I took a religion class and our mutual friend Mitch was in the class. Uh-huh. And uh, we were we were talking about I don't know like like how everyone thinks about faith. It was a wishy washy Episcopalian oh, high right. school class, and uh, he just stood up and started singing. What if God was one of us? Really? Yeah, just a stranger on the bus. It was great. Definitely sounds like him. We all erupted in laughter. Uh, I was taking a theology course that year too. Uh, uh, comparative religions. Okay, it's actually one of my favorite classes to take. Thought-provoking. You know what I liked? I liked uh, when I had to take a... In seventh grade, I studied Islam. Did you really? I was like, hell yeah. This is like the no-frills religion. <laughs> After like the the like sort of ridiculous ornamentation of Catholicism. Wait, what grade was it? Seventh grade. Seventh grade? Yeah. Interesting. You know, it was the most... Uh, like it, it was the, the religion most aligned with sort of like uh, the hardcore, straight-edge punk rock sensibilities. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, that's not wrong. That's interesting, because <laughs> yeah. I think both of us went to Catholic school, and I couldn't wait to get away from anything uh, Catholic-related. That's right, that's right. Just so inundated with morbid <laughs> uh, Christianity. Yeah, so that's Shame-based. Islam sounded right. They were like, there was no, like, weird um, extra yeah, like, hug people on the street. Bring somebody and feed them more tahini and blue. Yeah. Dude, all you gotta do is you submit. Just submit. Pray five times a day. You'll be fine. Yeah. Which, you know, that's now, I'm like, I don't think I could do that. Seems a little excessive. Yeah. But at the time, it sounded better than, like, confession, which was some nonsense, where, like, you have to go do therapy with a priest behind a screen and pretend that you sinned. Yep. I never did. uh, I wasn't really Catholic, but I went to Catholic school. We were more, like, Methodist Baptists. (laughs) So our, I mean, you know, a very different style of Christianity. But um, it, the confession thing always rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. It just, we, we, I mean, Yeah. Absolutely. I th- we may have talked about that before. I just like, the name Methodist is funny too because you... it just makes me think of rhythm method. Yeah. <laughs> or like the mystery method. The crystal method. <laughs> yeah, the crystal method. Um, That's good. Yes. I, did you guys pray before class? We prayed. We prayed and pledged allegiance before every class at my Catholic high school. Wow. Before, you know what that was? I got kicked out real fast. Too. That's that's basically teachers just cutting down on their instructional time. Oh, I just think that they're so regimented and have no uh, creativity. We, we were taught by Christian brothers. Yeah. So these weren't even, like, teachers. These were, like, these were, I mean, they kind of were, but they were yeah, religious-based, religion-based teachers. The uh, the Pledge of Allegiance um, prayer combo, that just kills so much time. Because yeah. when you think about, like, the instructional time that's taken out, that's, like, four to five minutes at the beginning of every at class. Least, yeah. Yeah. You do that eight times a day, and you know what? After after uh, rinse and repeat several hundred times, uh, it loses any meaning it may have had for you <laughs> at any point in your life. Yeah, or it's just muscle memory. It's just muscle memory. Robotics. Yeah, You're basically just a fucking programmed robot. You're like Daniel San from Karate Kid now, only with the Pledge of Allegiance and, and a prayer. Yeah, you're not really fighting for anything there either. No, somebody just some monked robe dude comes in here right now and goes, "Okay, say your Pledge of Allegiance," and you would you just stand up and wax on, wax Without off. Even thinking. Yeah. Yeah, muscle memory is right. So, uh, 1995, man, this was a big year. Yeah, we were in high school, but uh, also Windows 95 came out. Dropped. Yeah. Ba, 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 ba. Ja- JavaScript. Changing the game. Yeah, before that, people were just, uh, DOS was still a thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
everybody everybody's computer screen looked like uh like one of like mother from alien where they're like mother mother will we survive and it's just like a blinking in the black screen just like a blinking green text or like yeah like 2001 you're pressing the wrong button David. Yeah. <laughs> uh michael jordan came back to the bulls mm-hmm. Uh, after he retired in 1993, and he was a phenomenon in the early 90s with I mean, the, the "Be Like Mike." If I could be like Mike in the Spike Lee commercials from the mid 80s to throughout the mid 90s, for a good 12 years of. But it was like a super duper shock that he would retire like right at his peak. Yeah, there was some uh, some mystery surrounding that situation because his father was uh, murdered in an alleged carjacking situation. His father always wanted him to play baseball, so Mike retired from being really great at basketball and played on a minor league farm team, the yeah. Chicago White Sox. There's a bunch of uh, YouTube videos you can watch that are conspiracy theories on, on what happened to Mike, and uh, some of it goes back to perhaps his uh, gargantuan gambling addiction. Huge. Yeah, he, lo- he loved uh, throwing those bones, Yeah, rolling those dice. I mean, so. it would seem pretty random that the most famous athlete on the planet's father was randomly caught in a carjacking. Yeah. On like a wayward road in the middle of the Carolina somewhere. It seemed really, uh, seemed suspect. But I mean, you know, I'm not right. saying that he had anything to do with it, that his gambling had anything to do with it, but it was a... Well, is it a robbery if they find the body with a gold Rolex still on it and a fat wallet? Oh, did he have all that? I mean... I don't know. Interesting. Now I'm just throwing out more As a robber, you got to feel like you hit the lottery. Yes. Like, oh, shit. This guy. Um, um, yeah. Ebola. Ebola was a thing? Didn't hear about it before that. This was the year that Ebola entered my consciousness as a, oh, this is a disease you can get that makes you bleed out of all of your orifices. It scared the shit out of everybody. Yeah, yeah. So uh, just another... Another thing to be scared of in a time that was already pretty scary. I mean, today seems kind of scary, but back back then we were worried about um, people mailing us bombs, <laughs> like like yeah. I brought up earlier, the Unabomber, uh, who uh, yeah haven't read his manifesto the whole way through yet. But uh, my, it's a lot of words. My interest is peaked in it now, so I mm-hmm. think uh, I'm, I might um, pop an Adderall and read all <laughs> thirty five thousand of those words on a PDF after we finish with this podcast. Uh, I mean, where where can you find it? Oh my God! Any World Wide Web, Kindle, Does Kindle have it. <laughs> Speaking of which, what were computers for before before the internet? I tried I was trying to wrap my head around that. They were like giant calculators that yeah. overheated quickly. <laughs> like you can type on it and then print stuff. Awesome. <laughs> and the and the printers would have uh, paper with perforated edges, and then <laughs> oh, that's right, and those holes in the sides. They weren't even individual sheets. It was like an accordion of paper products. <laughs> they, were, they were so big. <laughs> yeah, and then oh, you're man. like, I got to back this up. And then you'd, you'd get a giant disc that was like an inch thick. Like an 8-track <laughs> player. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, man. I, the only thing I liked about my computer, I would just leave it on so I could watch the screensavers. You really, really like the screensavers. That, that was, was the it. height of technology at that point. Yeah, that's as that's as good as CGI got. That's true. E- eBay was founded. Speaking of your alma mater, talked oh, yeah. about that briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The founder of uh, eBay went to St. Andrews. Your high school, yeah. That's right, and he's a billionaire now. Uh, uh, yeah. Oklahoma City happened. Ooh, yep. Boom. So you know, <laughs> a lot of terrorism. Uh, none of it being performed by people of color. No. Well, 
lot of crazy white guys, a uh, lot of militias. The militia movement was huge during this era. Um, and, uh, well, I guess in Japan, they also had a sarin gas attack. So they, they had did. their own, they had their own terrorists and the Om Shinriki, Om Shinriko, uh, this, uh, a terrorist cult that they had there is pretty fascinating. Uh, it's not really part of what we talk about on the show, but something that our listeners can, uh, look up at their leisure. Yep. Did you own a pager at this time? I, uh, did, I had a pager mm-hmm. and we would just type in nine one one. Yep, all, all the, the time. time. Yep. Yeah. And then you'd have to get up from the dinner table and be like, I got a 911 page. Oh, my parents your landline. Like blow my pagers up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hit up a payphone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there was a time where I would go uh, to payphones with like a stack of quarters and I would just um, call people and leave them messages and then just sit at that payphone like it was my office. Really? Yeah. Busy man? Yeah. A lot going on? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, because like y- people would call you back at the at the. No one uses payphones now. Uh, they just seem like these uh, like petri dishes for hepatitis. Oh, and I see them. I'm actually grossed out completely. Yeah, but then you just and this was like pre Purell, and you would just stand there by a play, uh, by a payphone and uh, wait for phone calls that you don't know who was touching or putting their mouth near. That's right. That's right. And I wouldn't put my finger in the um, in the change slot. Because I was scared that somebody might have put a hypodermic needle in there. That's a a, a city fear. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's like a urban legend or not. The idea that there'd be like you know dirty needles hiding in like uh, theater seats or in the slot machines or, or Halloween or... candy. Right. I mean, I think it doesn't even matter whether it's an urban myth or not. Once you get that in your head as a kid or like an impressionable young uh, high schooler. Uh, you're going to be wary of it for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. I think about that all the time now. Like, I don't put my hand in the... Or I, I'm wary when I go to, like, um, Coca-Cola machines, vend, any vending machine to put my hand in the slot. I, around this time, I heard, a, 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 an, a, I guess, an urban legend about a kid who slept uh, naked and his balls uh, wrapped around themselves and he died. <laughs> so I always wear my box underwear in bed. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, to, like a weird torquing thing yeah. happened. Something, something fucked up. Always, still, twenty years later, still in the back of my head. I heard that legend from somebody doing. So you heard it? Uh, break. Uh, there, somebody was breakdancing. Oh, you're there. talking about Alfonso Ribeiro. Oh, that really happened to him? No, no, no. He did. It was a rumor that he died doing windmills <laughs> after silver spoons. <laughs> but then he was on TV because his because his uh, testicles. Oh, is that? No, I didn't hear it was the testicles. I heard that's it was... what I. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Is like that the the. Velocity of spinning on the floor and doing a windmill got his uh, his testicles to like sort of twist up like helicopter propeller blades. So you got a hybrid of the two stories. Yes, I think so. I got each one, but it's separate. No testicles in both. Testicles were not the common denominator. (laughs) He just died because he broke his neck, I think. (laughs) But then he was on Fresh Prince two years later. So I guess I mean he lived. Yeah, clearly. And uh, his one his go to talent move was doing michael jackson impersonations on oh, the moonwalk specifically yeah yeah he was in a pepsi commercial with michael jackson yep as a, a young impersonator he was and then in silver spoons he was also doing little jackson moonwalking and that's he, true. he the carlton dance is amazing i still do oh that. that's good yeah that's my mating dance if i ever have to go out to the club uh and and kudos to you anyone who actually knows what silver spoons is or was <laughs> <laughs> What a show. Look it up, guys. It's on Wikipedia. 
what was I doing, man? Around this time, I was watching some movies, you mm-hmm. know, along with the one that we'll be talking about today. But I think I went, I saw Seven in the movie theater. Did you really? Yeah. When I did I, not that was a, that was a first date. That's an interesting first date movie. Yeah, real creepy. That's a fucking blew my mind. <laughs> well, you know, Did you have a good time? No, I'm going home now. <laughs> I'm going to go. Well, you know, Brad Pitt was in it. He was a he was a a heartthrob at the time. He was 1995 sexiest man alive. Gwyneth Paltrow was in it. You know, she mm-hmm. was a, she was out there being sexy too. So I don't think people. Uh, if you watch the trailers, I don't know if you would have. Uh, conceived it being such a gothic, dark, dreary horror movie. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, Toy Story came out on the other end of the spectrum. Right. You know, first fully CGI'd film. Oh, was it? That, that's that's interesting. I didn't realize that. I've never seen it, but... But, yeah, yeah. It's... Uh, I've it, heard good things. People love it. People love it. And uh, this was a great year for movies. Kids came out, which was, like, mind-blowing uh, to see, like youth portrayed so <laughs> realistically aside from the uh, aids and the constant sexual assault i don't think that that was like <laughs> that movie shook shook me up bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah but at, you know at the same time though i did i did identify with the idea of just hanging out in the summertime drinking 40s i mean those kids were not unlike me <laughs> they were you know just city kids doing whatever wearing giant jeans i was heading to euclid street Virginia Market, where I could buy Mad Dog 2020 in 40s, rocking Puma sneakers. <laughs> Zimas. Zimas. Getting some of those wine coolers. That happened a couple times. Just <laughs> tagging on shit. Yeah, and they had all the, they had the little... Um, Different city, same vibes. They had those uh, screens that for sinks that you can buy at hardware stores. And oh, yeah, those, put it in your pipe. Yeah, those were for pipes. Oh, I was smoking a lot of weed So much school. weed. It was ridiculous. It was all two-dimensional weed. Somebody had uh, used the word kind buds around me. I had no idea what that meant. It's probably the same dude that saying God was one of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some kids had, were privileged enough to have moms that uh, had high-grade marijuana that they would share with them. I guess that's a privilege. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, you always hang out at the kid's house who has the cool parents that are like, hey, look, I don't mind if you guys drink. Just make sure that you do it here where it's safe. But I feel like that's such a rational approach. I, I think that's a smart. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're going to put your foot on the fire there, you might as well just have, <laughs> try to rationalize it. Right. Uh, and um, A lot of drinking at friends' houses. A lot of house parties. So many house parties. A lot of private stock Mickeys and fucking... Well, when I go back to D.C. and people ask, like, what do you do there? What's what's something to do? It's I left after I was 18. Yeah. So my idea of a good time in D.C. is going and smoking a joint in Rock Creek Park. Yeah, or like going to like Georgetown Billiards and smoking a joint in the stairwell. <laughs> right. I have no idea, like, what grown-ups do to have a good time in Washington. And the weird thing is it's, it's, it's like a completely conservative grown-up town. You know what people do? They go out to dinner and spend a lot of money on drinks. Right. That's the scene. Well, uh, so that is what we're doing. We're painting a context for the era. Talking about 1995's Clueless, starring Alicia Silverstone. And I knew her from the Aerosmith video. That's how she got oh, cast in right. this. Yeah. That's exactly where the... She was a video girl uh, back Dixon. when that was a thing. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I wonder if it still is a thing, because I, I don't even know where people watch videos anymore back I in the day. I have seen a new music video. I, uh, I, don't, I have no idea when the last time I would have seen one was. Right. Everybody just puts out their own videos on YouTube or whatever, or Vimeo, 
uh, there's no one place that we all go to. Right. Whereas like with MTV, you actually had to sit down, you watched a whole block of these videos and everybody saw the same ones. You can get content from anywhere now. Yeah. So no more Alicia Silverstone. Liv Tyler was in that video? Yes, she was. This is true. And uh, who in, in this movie uh, is also a young Ant-Man, Mr. Paul Rudd. Guy kind of didn't age. Yeah, he looks exactly the same. And uh, Stace, got good jeans, Gabe. Yeah, that's what it's about. You know, good. You know, I don't know if it's Mediterranean jeans. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's his diet. Yeah. We don't know. Could be a lot of plastic surgery. I don't. I don't, I don't see him as that guy. You don't see him as a Botox bro. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Botox. Yeah. And uh, Stacy Dash is also in this. Surprisingly mm-hmm. old now. She's in her fifties. And yeah. So she must have been old when this came out. She's gone politically uh, f- far to the right. It's insane how uh, she was running as a Republican candidate this year. She was running? Yeah. She dropped out very quickly, but she was a candidate in California in one of the races. Oh, I did not know that. So, uh, yeah, she's she's drifted into Ted Nugent land. <laughs> I expect next year she'll have her own, uh, like, a combine crossbow. Elk farm? Just, uh, just hu- hunting wild boars <laughs> online. Maybe periscoping uh, her her journeys on safari. I would not be surprised. Uh, she's a huge fan of guns. Is she? Yeah, she loves guns. But she has a she has a story, a compelling story about it too. Like one time, an ex boyfriend was trying to assault her, and uh, she was able to fend him off uh, with a weapon. Oh. So there is, uh, I guess that's. I mean, when they're know, used to stop violent crime, it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. And after Stacy Dash, we've got Wallace Shawn. He's in this. Wallace Shawn, you may know from Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. yeah. He he plays the uh, debate teacher. Inconceivable. That's right. And your boy Brecken Mayer's in this. Brecken Meyer, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Spicoli, uh, w- the Windows ninety five version of Spicoli. Yes, he does. Uh, when I was watching this, I thought, oh, this guy is, is straight out of Fast Times at Ridgemount High. Yep. And uh, the director, right? So it all made sense. Yep, Amy yeah. Heckerling. The connections are there. Amy Heckerling directed this, and right, she was coming off of uh, high praise, making uh, Fast Times at Ridgemount High, Good. which seems like a fun teen comedy, but it actually has some pretty dark undertones. It's like a dramedy. You know, I've actually never seen that movie. Well, I think we're gonna put it on the list. Sure. So Heckling also did uh, National Lampoon's European Vacation. Such a fun vacation. That was the first vacation I saw. I saw that before oh, really? vacation. Yeah. That was that, that was the second one I saw. Raunchy. I liked all three of them, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she did that, which was interesting. She also did Johnny Dangerously. Oh, I love that movie. Which is a slapstick, uh, like, send-up on mob movies. Yeah. Starring Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. And, uh, and your boy, Eddie Murphy's sidekick. From the SNL days, Joe Piscopo. Joe Piscopo is in it, the bad guy. Yeah, he he's great. So that I saw that movie at a very um, formative time in my life. Yeah, and I I loved it. Oh, I, it's I don't a, know if it holds up today. I doubt I, it does, but it was so good. It's, it feels like Airplane. It's, it is. It is that sort of slapsticky, uh, the Zucker yeah. Brothers style. So Amy Heckerling has uh, she comedy she's got, chops. Yeah, man, she knows what she's doing, and it's it's interesting. I didn't really know her name until this, but I don't think I'll forget it after yeah. Clueless. Um, so she's fantastic. And before we move on, though, I wanted to bring up that Brittany Mir- Brittany uh, Murphy was in this right as well. So R.I.P. Big role for her. Huge. Yeah. Loved her in this. Yeah, she was good. Uh, I also remember Brittany Murphy from Girl Interrupted. 
Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. She played my least favorite uh, type. It, uh, women, Young women with mental illness in asylums is hu- a huge turnoff for me right Turn here. Turn off? Can't. Don't want it. Don't like it. Don't want to see it on the screen. Her character made my skin crawl in that movie, which is a testament to her being a great actress. Yeah. But uh, leaving um, chicken bones under her bed in the asylum and Girl Interrupted, such a... Oh, man. What a... What a gross character. I saw that movie a a long time ago. I don't remember it, but I I do remember her character being creepy. I remember, yeah, the the general vibe was was rough. So she's an actress with range. Yeah. Eight Mile? Yeah, she was an Eight Mile. She was uh, the youngest member of this cast, too. Oh, was she really? Yeah. So, uh, By the way, this was loosely based on Amy Heckerling, who wrote and directed it. Yeah. Uh, The Jane Austen novel, the 19th century Jane Austen novel, Emma. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. So yeah, she took all, a lot of the themes from uh, Emma and the situations and just put them in a uh, contemporary 1995 high school setting in a super affluent school in Beverly Hills. Right. So I guess a, a brief just synopsis of this movie is that we follow uh, the main character played by Alicia Silverstone. It is Cher Horowitz, and Cher Horowitz is a very wealthy blonde um, student. I think she's a you think sophomore? At the school, does it matter? What? Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, she's. I mean, she's licensed age, so you know, tenth or eleventh grade. Yeah, she's uh, sixteen years old. Yeah, and it offers a very sympathetic portrayal of her as sort of a clueless blonde alpha who uh, discovers that she's not the center of the universe. Um, the film gently snubs uh, our protagonist, uh, who is clueless uh, in a bunch of different scenarios, and even though she's wealthy. And uh, has all the privilege in the world. She needs to work on herself to find love uh, and to become a good friend and a good driver. And a good person. And a good person. Right. Yeah. So this is a really... uh, The protagonist in this is the wealthy person that in a lot of other films we probably would have seen as like the main antagonist. Yeah. You know? She is she is the snob. She is the the um the person with all the juice. Right. All the popularity. But the way that the film um portrays her, we we empathize with her. So that's I'd say that's uh unique. Yeah. So far for these for these types of movies. Yeah, she was hard to not like, I guess. Yeah, like I think, um, you know, in other films, maybe we would have had the Brittany, Brittany Murphy is in this, and Brittany Murphy plays uh, a new kid at the school named Ty. Yeah. And this movie could easily have been written from Ty's perspective, and had it been, and that's, I think, uh, Mean Girls. Somebody kind did, of like I was going to say, somebody did that, yeah, Tina Fey did that with Mean Girls. Yeah, they just shifted the focus from the most popular girl to the new kid. Yeah. And, um... And that and that's a different. That's just a completely different tone. This movie feels uh, like real whimsical. Yeah, you know. I mean, the plot is all over. I mean, you know, there is no really almost. Def- there's no definitive plot. It seems like. Yeah, it's just know, like her in, inadvertent uh, <laughs> self journey of self discovery. Yeah, you don't watch this movie for uh, for a, a main character who's a hero who has one goal uh, to to um, and has obstacles. To get to that goal. Yeah. You like, use the term meandering, and that's the best way to put what this plot was. Yeah, it feels like a series of sketches or vignettes that give you, um, paint a holistic picture of who 
uh, Cher Horowitz is. And I think that's sort of uh, Heckerling's style here, because if you remember the, the very beginning, the opening scene of the film, there are no opening credits, which is pretty unique. It's just shots of them partying. Like, yeah. you know, having like their like Beverly Hills lifestyle put together. So and, that gave you all the sort of the background you needed. Yeah. And into, into this character's world. And like a really good, just, you know, dunk tank style, just jump right in. And I thought it was interesting. She, uh, I love Cher. She's got really high verbal skills. She's very intelligent, very manipulative. Dad, dad is a litigator. And yeah, and her father, her father has um, given her sort of one overriding value, and that the principle is to always negotiate. Yeah, never take the first offer, is what he says. Yeah, so she has, um, she doesn't believe in the truth with a capital T. Uh, it really is all about like, how, well, how far can you push these boundaries? How can you charm people to get uh, what you what you want? You know, and so one example of this is that. When she is uh, in debate class, uh, she gets like a C, right? Or she, she's yeah, getting a terrible. She gets she's a getting C. a bad grade, and uh, and her father gets really upset, and she's like, "No, don't worry about it. You know uh, that that was just, we're we're in negotiation still. You know, I'm I'm gonna push back." And he's like, "My girl, like he doesn't really care how smart uh, she is objectively by any metric. He cares more that she's able to talk her way into." Um, a better situation. Yeah, I th- think that's a common uh, with these teen uh, high school coming of age style movies uh, in the eighties and nineties. There seems to be like this huge push for, I would say, anti intellectualism is the term <laughs> that I would use. But it's like you know, if you're pretty rich and you know popular, you can you can you can skate by or you can get by and, and you can do whatever you you need to do. You'll you'll be fine, I guess. Was the message like, despite right. anything else, uh, you don't need to be smart. You can be pretty and use that as a manipulative tool or popular and use that as a tool for manipulation to get what you, you need to do. It just seems like that there was like a push to like, you know, academics were like sort of on the background. Like everything will be okay. Right. Use your strengths. Right. School was all about um, uh, showcasing your status. And like right. you said, you know, using using your strengths. Uh, when, uh, the, when Ty shows up, we kind of get an introduction to the school as Cher is describing it to her. And, you know, Cher is like, if you're going to date a high school boy, it's got to be a boy from one of these with the coolest clique. Right. You know, if you're going to degrade yourself uh, or, like, lower yourself to the level of even being with a high school kid. Right. I mean, there are parallels between this movie and and one we've done already, Legally Blonde. That's right. Very very similar. Uh, I think that... um, Parenting styles were kind of similar. I think uh, L is a little bit more type A from uh, Legally Blonde. Yeah. Then, then share, share is is, hmm. yeah. I don't know. They they're very different characters for being so closely related. Right. Being affluent blonde girls from California, California. Yeah. with parents who you know just kind of encourage them to just not <laughs> not necessarily go out and beat the world. That's right. I think uh, L L is a fun fun to be around though. I mean, I really I like her slang. The slang in this movie is like off oh, the sure. charts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's right. Sorry. Uh, yeah, Cher has great slang, and I'm gonna give all of the credit for that to Amy uh, Heckerling. Yeah, just really creating a whole new vernacular for like high school kids in 1995. Give some credit to uh, 90s hip hop too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She what, definitely was uh, steeped in uh, that lingo. What terms uh, stuck out to you? Because I remember them, and I remember people using them around me. Always made me a little. 
Well, I just like cr- cr- they're cring- cringeworthy. So, sometimes you were cringing a little bit. Well, I I like uh, them just saying as if all the time, right? As if, but that just feels like a Valley Girl thing. That's a Valley Girl thing. And then um, what was it? The loadies. That's a great term. Yeah, I like that for the for the stoner kids. Yeah, that made me laugh. All these loadies. And I went just to piggyback on that point. I loved their shares uh, rationale for drug use. She was like, "It's cool to get." stoned at a party or smoke a joint sometimes but don't be the person that does it every day and i think that's a great i was like that's exactly right and that's coming from someone that smoked a lot of weed in high school yeah i'm on board with her message you know there's you don't a time... want to be a toasty <laughs> moron <laughs> yo don't don't sit over here being a toaster strudel with your vape pen Jeez. at noon yeah yeah man so a time and a place for everything and uh it really is all about the context right so you know sa- save the party favors for the parties. Bingo. That's, you know, uh, that's a great, that's the best message this movie had to offer, I think. <laughs> well, it's pretty cool, man, because this movie feels very permissive in its uh, depiction of drug use in general. You know, uh, like like that is a, is a very Epicurean message. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, uh, hey, just do it at the right time. But this isn't a just say no commercial. No. You know, everybody in this movie has an opportunity to smoke weed, and there's no, like, moral hysteria around it. Like, they're at the party, they, they take a joint, they move on, you know? So I, li- I like that, whereas I think that... It's like the parents that uh, let you drink at their house. Yeah, If you're going to do it, just do it in a good environment. <laughs> do it in the right environment. Safe. Yeah, there's no moral judgment to any of it, and that was awesome. So, and I think... As we look at movies, like more contemporary movies, there might be uh, like more of a Puritan stance on that. Yeah. You know, the 90s, it was a crazy time. Also, a lot of, um, even though the characters are virgins in this film, they're all hooking up and sex is on the table. Yeah. You know, without it seeming like that big a deal. Like, where the 80s, it was kind of a bigger deal. In the 80s, there was this rush to, like, lose your virginity. And the whole whole goal in the teen film was to fool someone into having sex. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And in in these 90s films, uh, uh, Cher and Dion uh, both say that they are virgins. uh, What is it? Technically. (laughs) So they're virgins, like evangelical girls i don't know? know what that meant in in stacy dash's dude case. it meant butts and mouths it, yeah it, it did right <laughs> i mean you know that's that's uh, what i think it means when people are uh chased in a at least in a religious context but you know if you're saying technically how, how are they keeping these men around if they are a hundred percent chased hmm. i'm just assuming I was just wondering whether whether it was math stuff or butt stuff. I couldn't tell. That was my, that was my issue with it. I didn't know. Mouths and butts. Yeah, mouths and butts. Mouths and or butts. But uh, but they're willing to uh, have sex when the time is right. Mm-hmm. So it's not that it's not that big a deal. And also the new girl Ty, who seems so innocent in the way that she's uh, Brittany Murphy plays her. Huge druggie. Yeah, she's like she's a huge druggie, and she is um is also not a virgin. And Not none, at all. Yeah, and none of this is played as though uh, she's like she hasn't fallen from grace. She's still the most innocent character in the film, but she's like she's men, a little simple. Yeah, yeah, but also I'd say like there's a purity of her spirit. She's a good person. Yeah, she's a good person, and yet she engages in all of these activities that in a lesser film 
She's very rube, like country rubish. I think they don't. Did they ever tell you where she was actually from? No, but she's got an East Coast accent. Does she? Yeah, I think so. I'd say she's got like a Jersey accent. Yeah, she could be from the suburbs in Jersey, where everyone kind of yeah. does a lot of drugs and, and suburban kids fucked fuck a lot. <laughs> she, she could be from like uh, you know just outside of the Pine Barrens, where there's sure. a Jersey Devil. We right. go there, we have sex, but we 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 try to uh, uh, speed it up. We get out of there quickly before the Jersey Devil comes and. That was a real thing, though. Yeah, it was a real thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Look it up. No, I know. Yeah, I know it. Um, so, so there's a bunch of little um, other know. little colloquialisms they use in the film. Audis, ducats, <laughs> just words that were kind of peppered into my conscience by yeah. uh, several different hip hop bands. Ooh, I heard people using ducats in DC. Mm-hmm. I, was, I cringed at that. Ducats is a rough word. I'd like. <laughs> I'd rather hear someone say skrilla, and I don't like either one of those two words. I just, I always ask you for clams. Clams? Yeah. <laughs> Get that cheddar. Stacking chips. Stacking, stacking papes. <laughs> oh, man. Got to keep my papes right. Such, 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 a, such a good time in general for, for that, that era of music. It was. Wise. This is an infinitely quotable movie. Oh, yeah. So many good quotes. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, you divorce wives, not children. Yeah. Is a great line that the lawyer father says. And I, I think that's just a line for all dads. I mean, you know? he's got a couple of good ones. He goes, he goes. Anything happens to my daughter, he's like, I've got a shovel, and I don't think anyone would miss you. <laughs> good line there. Uh, oh, uh, and here's here's a great one for anybody out there uh, thinking about caravans and migrants. Uh, can I remind you that it doesn't say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty? Right. Love that line from Cher. I don't even want to get into that whole thing because it's it's upsetting. <laughs> and uh, oh, and then I love Cher's uh, comments on college radio during this time period. She mm. goes, "The maudlin music of the college radio station. Oh, what is it about college that makes everybody a crybaby?" Because she's listening to just like the, the Counting Crows. I think yeah. was in the car when she was playing. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that line was solid. Um, yeah, and that does. I mean, there was like a, a wave of sort of sad like uh mopey music in the mid 90s i agree but not like the good stuff like you know the, the seattle movement where nirvana and alice in chains and something like those bands but there was like more a, no. a, a more a, a bitchier vibe uh a very a very singer songwriter yeah let's i'm sorry right. <laughs> i'll play the bad guy <laughs> I know, I, I know what bands are popping into my head specifically, but we don't need to go there. Uh, hey, what else? It wasn't we... not Counting Crows. <laughs> uh, I love when uh, when uh, Cher tells her teacher, "I was surfing the crimson wave. I had to haul ass to the ladies." I yeah, like, oh, I'd never heard that that term for uh, getting your period. Oh, another great line is Stacey Dash's line when the girl was uh, trying to get out of uh, tennis instruction. Yeah. And uh, she goes, I can't, my, my plastic surgeon said, uh, I can't be anywhere where uh, balls are flying around my face. And then uh, Stacey Dash's character goes, well, there goes your social life. Zing! That was hot a burn! One. That, that was, was a, that was a sick burn, bro. Well delivered. Yeah. I love the common theme of uh, plastic surgery in the mid-90s <laughs> in LA at this point. Like, girls just walking around with bandages all over different parts of their face. It's good. Really good. <laughs> Looking like the invisible man. Is that technically a trope? Sure. And, uh, oh, she's a full-on Monet. From far away, That's she looks great. But up close, she's a full-on mess. Yeah. She's a total Monet. I love it. Uh, why should I listen to you? You're a virgin who can't even drive. That was rough. 
That's a good. That's a sick burn too. That was hard hitting. Yeah. Boom. That sunk her battleship. Um, none of these girls can drive, which is hilarious. Yeah. Because they're living like the most driver centric culture in the world in LA. Like everyone, you have to have a car. I guess that was why they made such a big deal. Also advocating them driving I- illegally without licenses. Yeah, which was interesting. Yeah, they're, in the they're, they're everybody's driving around and nobody's getting pulled over. I mean, we took the cars out a couple times. I never took the cars out like no? that. No, I was way too prudent. Mm, smart. Yeah. Also, I think my dad had a stick shift, so I wasn't... Well, that'll, that'll stop like it. That. Yeah. Yeah, boom. So I didn't drive. Also, I lived so close to the subway. So did I, yeah. Or Metro. The Metro. Red Line, right. maybe. Red Line. We're just a few stops away from each other, buddy. That's right. Uh, yep, and they had and Jeeps were still a big deal. Mm-hmm. They had a Jeep. If this movie was made today, all of those girls would be in giant gas-guzzling SUVs, like yeah. Yukons and Tahoes. Yep. And, and it's interesting because it's accelerating global warming and ex- accelerating the consumption of our gas to put your kid in the biggest car you can. It was like a, a, a rich kid. It was like a white white rich kid accessory, these monster gas guzzlers. And it's still happening. An American one in general. And every parent is like, well, I want my child to be safe. But the, the thing is, is that it only works if all of the other cars are tiny. But if every <laughs> single person is getting an identical giant car, then it cancels out the safety that those cars would have provided for your kid. And it just uh, makes Venice sink into the ocean faster. It's like nobody showed early mid-90s kids uh, skinny polar bears for their parents. (laughs) Right, right. Status was a big deal back then, more so than ever, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, everybody, uh, the pagers, the McMansions, uh, the fashion that Mm. they're wearing. This movie is ultra fashion conscious i think that i saw in like an entertainment tonight video on youtube that um alicia silverstone's character had to change around 62 times i just made that number up but it's within that realm right uh during filming and she was annoyed by how many costume changes she had but you see everywhere like in her room they make a point to show you the pile of clothes right and that she has uh, her wardrobe has like the one of those uh, rotating hanger systems that you would find in a dry cleaner. That's right. <laughs> oh, she was picking out her outf- outfits on her uh, on her computer. Yeah, and today maybe we'd have an app to do that. That's what they were using computer computers for back then is to is to match their clothes up. Apparently, pretty pretty amazing. I love her house. I love the McMansion she lives in. I right. love the setting, uh, the giant painting of her mother. She's an orphan. Yeah, who died during a uh, liposuction surgery. That happens, man. I had my friend's mom died. Uh, Kanye's mom. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I, maybe it's the anesthesia, getting the, getting the drug like dosage just right. Because that's a big deal. With anesthesia, it's pretty easy to uh, uh, put somebody under permanently. Yeah. No, that's a huge risk. That's why those guys get paid a lot of money. And uh, uh, Ren and Stimpy was on TV. She's watching Ren and Stimpy in her apartment or her house, which I re- I love that too as like a like a wonderful time capsule. Oh one yeah, of the coolest animated shows from that era. I think I'd seen it much earlier. I actually showed Beavis and Butthead and Ren and Stimpy, who coincidentally were both on MTV, which was a huge. Uh, it, it, it was the cultural um, behemoth back yeah. then. Yeah, that was the commons for yeah. uh, youth culture. 
Exactly. Everybody had to tune in to see what to wear and what to listen to. What to laugh at. Ha, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They started really um, guiding all of our culture. We had, what else did they have back then? Oh, third wave ska was big in this movie. Yeah, I was going to ask you, man, how bummed out do you think the Bostones were during the filming of that scene? Because they didn't fit at all in any aspect of this movie. I mean, I, I was never like a fan, but they had to have known that they were selling out so hard and in like the lamest possible way by doing that scene in that movie. I mean, I feel like... Like they just knew it on the inside when they were doing Ska it. Ska feels like safe uh, white re- rebel music. It's like... But that wasn't... Yeah, I don't know even what... what Third wave ska, I guess, is what it what it, is that really the technical term for that type of music? Hell like yeah, real big fish and all those other bands. Uh huh. I never got into that stuff. That seems like you you would you like that. I was I dabbled. I mean, I listened sure. to Operation Ivy. Okay, and then, that's but that's, and, a, that's different. Yeah, but they uh, Op Ivy like started infusing their music with some ska vibes. Yeah, and so and I think that third wave ska would be like a much lighter version. Which is what of we, that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then I also like Sublime, who were like rocking around this era, uh-huh. and they didn't really fit. They had ska music, ska in what they did, but they weren't. There were other bands that were just purely that goofy look, mm-hmm. right? Like the mighty what? Like the mighty mighty Bostones? Is that who you said? Yeah, you they were in the movie. Yeah, yeah, like those dudes. That's just like just feels like safe white people music. Yeah, kind of like Green Day. Yes. Well, like Green Day sort of uh, migrated from like the hardcore punk mm. sensibilities into like we're going to make it look like punk, but it's going to be pop. Yeah. So this era, yeah, it's like third wave ska is like sort of sanitized, whitewashed ska music. I mean, it fit into the film. Yeah. Right. Well, this whole, this movie is pretty um, racially, it's white. It's a pretty white movie. You, we do have like the black character played by Stacy Dash and her boyfriend played by um, Donald Faison. Yes, from Scrubs fame, but there isn't really much um, made of their race. Like it's not really acknowledged. I mean, there was one point where he was shaving his head in the bathroom, and he was like, "I'm just keeping it real." <laughs> so I feel like maybe that's a struggle for people of color to kind of like, if when they're rich and doing well and, and kind of like studious. Yeah. Is it a struggle to, you know, the whole keep to, it real thing? To continue it, to be authentic. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, true to yourself. Right, right. And his, his, uh... Seems like he was dealing with a little bit of that. Yeah. He was the most fashion-forward character. I think he was, he was the most fashion... <laughs> for that, for, for dudes in that time period, he was... His, <laughs> he was the king. He was mad authentic. But, oh, right. So, so he kind of, like, typifies this sort of streetwear, fashion-wise. Yep. But then... Uh, simultaneously, we have this critique of uh, men's fashion during this time period, and I remember dressing like all those guys with a slow-mo scene of like four dudes, five dudes in baggy pants with backwards caps on. You were that colorful? These kids look like hippies. Like, I don't like think us. I was. Maybe. Yeah, you know what? I probably was that colorful. That's interesting. I was never... I, had, I mean, I had the, the, the huge baggy jeans you for sure. You wore black Jenkos, like goth style? I don't think I ever had a pair of Jenkos, but there was there was lots of other types of brands of those jeans. Yeah. I only did it for like about a year, and I was like... And I, I, I kind of felt on the inside how, how silly it was, and I got a little more uh, conservatively hip-hop orientated khakis. Yeah, yeah sensible. Some hill figures, polo sen- shirts. Sensible working man yep. hip-hop, man- managerial hip-hop styles. Yeah, exactly. 
Like you're uh, running for you're Fons, running for Fonsworth Bentley. Not that I wasn't wearing. Uh, yeah, I wasn't holding people's umbrellas and rocking bow ties. But you know, I was just uh, Sean John suits. Just just stuff that I'd hear on Rayquaza albums. I was wearing rocking Liz Claiborne. <laughs> Rugby's. Yeah, that I mean that look was was interesting. And uh, yeah, so maybe but one then, of the lamest fashion trends I can remember. So you have these like baggy, do, baggy uh, chain wallet wearing backwards hat. Uh, dudes, and then you had the sort of hip hop, like sweat sweat pants style. Yeah, those dudes that you were talking about, if you were that colorful, that's impressive. Um, they look like they would fit seamlessly into a uh, Spin Doctorate show, or a Counting Crow show, or like a Rage <laughs> Against the Machine show. That's right. We're all very different bands. Seamlessly able to go to any of the giant festivals. Yeah. Maybe you're, well, maybe you're a li- Lollapalooza it up. Yeah, maybe you're at Lilith Fair. Your girlfriend's there. You're going to that. Uh, maybe you're at a Horde tour. Horde festival. To go see Blues Traveler and uh, and the the Bryant Seltzer Band. There was like this sort of re, uh, a renaissance for hippie-ish culture. Mm-hmm. Hacky sacking was kind of making a little bit of a comeback, and we see that in this movie. We, we played it at, at. I was in high school at the time. We played it. We played a more aggressive East Coast version of it called Eliminator, where you would have to hit the ball twice and then kick it as hard as you can at somebody. Oh wow! And we would play that in the streets at, outside of my high school in Dupont Circle. <laughs> it was, it was rough. We need to get like. Six, I was really good at it. Actually, five, five more friends here in Greenpoint and play Eliminator. Oh man, I would love Karen that. Park. Karen Park, absolutely. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm into it. Uh, oh, but the but then the, the third the third way of fashion that we see here is when Cher Horowitz falls for uh, some guy who looks like Luke Perry. He looks like I thought it was Luke Perry for like uh, when I first saw it, and it's like a miniature version of him. And then the irony there is that uh, Christian, this guy yeah. who looks like Luke Perry, uh, happens to be gay. Just happen. Just so happens to be gay. Just so happens, and they do it really subtly too, relative to other uh, gay characters I've seen oh, yeah, in these I, movies. I really, I actually like the way he was portrayed. Yeah, they just kept throwing out like little coded messages to where you're like, "Well, this is ambiguous. Maybe he's just alternative." You know, he's reading uh, William Burroughs' yeah. Junkie, and I'm like, "Yeah, I would have read Junkie." You know? Yeah. It's not like he's re- he's not reading Oscar Wilde. He's mm-hmm. reading like a beat poet. So it's. Like, I mean, okay. he's yeah, he, he's uh into the Brat Pack? I don't. I feel like a lot of straight dudes would never have gotten into a uh, <laughs> defunct <laughs> group of crooners. Uh, at the same time, Swingers came out like a year later. So it would have been that era where like swing is coming back you and know, sort of like this, this look. Yeah. So he, he everything about him wasn't uh, coded as explicitly gay. It was just coded as sort of like eccentrically um, pop culture savvy. I enjoyed that his character's arc initially. He he comes across as the ultimate douche in the beginning with his 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 lingo and just how he is, his general demeanor, his car even. Yeah. But then you know he sort of develops into like a really good good hearted human being. Yeah, that's the that's the thing about this positive uh, portrayals for gay people in the mid nineties. They call they say that this movie is a, a satire, and when I think of satire, I think of like a more of a dark a darker humor, more fangs to hmm. like the to the the humor and the portrayal of people of characters. But one thing that um, so darker than parodies, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. One thing that that I see here is that every one of these characters and Cher says it uh, in the film. Every one of these characters is someone who she finds good qualities in. Right. So, like, even though, uh, the even though 
Christian and Cher don't work out as a romantic couple, you know, she's like, I like him because uh, he, he looks for beauty in the world. So she, yeah. or um, when she, she has a flare up in a fight with Ty, uh, even though they have that fight, they have a resolve and it's like not that big a deal. Yeah, that, that whole thing was swept under the rug very fast. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Flare-up is right. Yeah, so so she has all these flare-ups with her friends, but they, they blow over very easily. And there is kind of a – she looks at the world through uh, rose-colored glasses in, in, that, in a positive way. This is – I see it as like she's very well – She's a <laughs> she's dreamer. grounded. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's one of those things that you would there, – there's so many things you would want to dislike about the character, but she's – She's not unlikable. She's a pretty standard, rich high school girl. I feel like, yeah, but with a heart. And uh, and and she oh, and we one of the like most controversial parts of the film, I think, is her relationship with Josh, played by Paul Rudd. Right. And uh, Josh, stepbrother. Josh looks like he's like a proto version of like a Chapo Trap House fan. In a, he's wearing when we first see him, he's got the Amnesty International oh, that shirt. Me. That, that made me. And uh, you can tell it's the '90s because he's got his T-shirt uh, uh, tucked in. Does he? Yeah, and then he's wearing flannel, flannel on the outside. Yes. So, uh, so it, it's a grungy look, but still like not a hundred percent letting it all hang out because he's he's got it tucked in and the pants are tight. Right. And uh, he is. He represents sort of someone who cares about the world. He's her older stepbrother, and he um, is paying attention to issues happening outside, like war and, um, and like, you know, the shirt. Class, says, the classic college kid. After, yes. you know, two years, comes back. And he wants to go, he wants to go to law school, but not to become a, a litigation lawyer. Like, he doesn't want to work for corporations or rich people. He wants environmental law. Which, yeah, which we could use today. No, subsequently, like <laughs> 10 years ago, that was a huge deal. And, and environmental law is, is big. And there's now obviously a lot of money in it if you're on the right, if you're on the wrong side. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's hard to be on the side of the angels, but. Um, Al's know, back. If, but, uh, but these paychecks really help out. Sure. So he, uh, yeah, he's going to be an environmental lawyer. And um, he's like the opposite of uh, Cher Horowitz, who we, she's self interested, she's a narcissist. I mean, um, I kind of feel that way about him. I was going to ask him one of my questions. It's who do you find more pretentious? It's t- it's a tough call. That's true. I mean, and he still uh, can't help but come back to live at his affluent father's house in Beverly Hills. And he's flexing his tremendous depth of like character. You know, he yeah. wants to help. They're going to get Marky Mark to plant trees or some shit. <laughs> what he was talking about at the time. It's really tough to eat, to build empathy in a world where you. Are, have everything. Yeah, you, you just have don't I every just, privilege. I don't. I just don't see any risk in any of your, like, uh, you know, life choices, or yeah. any of the paths you choose. Like, you're going to be okay. It seems like they're they are so um, removed from any of the problems that they want to deal with because the world of Beverly Hills is such a utopia for them. Right. Like, I I don't even know when they start arguing about immigrants, not arguing, but when they have the debate early on uh in class about immigration i'm like oh that that seems so relevant to today but who are these two kids to really even be talking about it like what what do they know we don't we don't see any uh um immigration issues in the film the only person we see from another country is uh her salvadorian maid 
Or, or she the, calls him Mexican. Or the Persian Mafia. I was going to ask you about oh, that. Oh, but the Persian Mafia is, they're super affluent. Yeah, so right. they're like, they're 100% integrated into the economic fabric of this of the city. You can't join the team unless you drive a BMW or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. They bought in to the dream. And uh, and, and it's, it's working out for them. But, uh, yeah, she says she doesn't speak Mexican to the maid who basically runs the entire home. <laughs> That's and right. Obviously made that fantastic lexan full of uh, well organized sandwich meats that Paul Rudd was, you know, enjoying. Yeah, you're fascinated with. These I don't know why. Meats. I just thought it looked like a it looked like a sub like like a sandwich artist was in their home, like decorating, like getting their fridge together for them. It was just, I just never seen that before in anyone's home. Yeah, it was. I don't know why. It's Sometimes I go to the book. I would I love that. I, I would love to have a. a, a Fucking trough full of sandwich meats that were just like meticulously laid out. I go to Rachel's. I would make sandwiches all the time. Uh, corner store down the street, sure. and I get the. I'll get like a little platter of different meats. But they're vacuum sealed. And yeah, this was out of a vacuum in a giant container, all laid out, just stacked beautifully on top of one another. We don't need to talk about this anymore. I just thought it was odd. Like a like a a cured meat sculpture. Life goals. Yeah, that's the goal. So it's the dream. If only we could all just have as many sandwich meats as our hearts desire at our fingertips at all times. I don't speak Mexican was what Cher said when she was asking to delegate some work to the gardener. She goes, he's your gardener. Why don't you talk to him? She goes, I don't speak Mexican. Yeah. She goes, I'm not Mexican. She starts walking away and he's like, she's from El Salvador. <laughs> Very different countries. Yeah. Both giant populations in LA though. Huge. And uh, in D.C. as well. For all Salvadorians, yeah. yeah. Not so much Mexican. They showed up in 1980, right mm. after Archbishop Romero was assassinated. Right. And uh, the Civil War started. That was... Uh, under Ronald Reagan's watch. It was a good movie about that whole situation. Called... Salvador? Starring... James Woods. Directed by... Oliver Stone. <laughs> <laughs> Who else is... Who's the, who's the other character in that movie? Oh, that's the only uh, actor I know in that film. There's another big name in there. Google it. But uh, Raul Julia also starred in a movie called Romero. Oh, about did he? Archbishop Romero. Yep. So anybody who's interested in the history of the civil wars and political instability in El Salvador, check out Romero or Salvador. Uh, well, look, overall, I give this movie, I think it's pretty good. It's probably my favorite uh, teen coming-of-age movie that I've seen from the 90s so far. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I thought they like uh, intelligently portrayed um, the that time period, and there wasn't a lot of moralizing. And uh, it's okay that our character didn't learn that many lessons. You can see that she's growing, though. Yeah, it's a movie about somebody who is in the process of of becoming a better person ish <laughs> like but she still ends you know she's still rich uh at the end of it she's just learned that charity feels good and helping other people can help you feel good yeah. and i think that um you know altruism goes hand in hand with uh with self-improvement i think that it makes us all better people it makes you feel better and it makes your world broader to go and help others yeah, so philanthropy, so. even though it is kind of self-serving, you know, at least it's better. It's better than nothing. Yeah, and I'm looking at this on a personal level too. You know, there's a difference between uh, like the personal charity, personal philanthropy, personal volunteering, and the idea that a 
uh, like a Gates Foundation is a good thing. <laughs> because no, I mean, think a lot of these... We've like, talked about the Gates Foundation, I think. I was, I mean, you know. Yeah? We discussed, you and I, yeah, especially on this podcast at one point, about uh, Warren Buffett and, and, and Bill Gates donating money. And, and You know, at least they're doing it. There's a lot of rich people that aren't doing shit. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I think I think a lot of these foundations, though, are just tax shelters. Yeah. And they're ways for uh, for people to keep their money in a trust and not have it taxed for when they die. Yeah. So, you know, also a giant foundation is a is a easy way for uh, for the oligarchy to um, influence politics. You know, I mean, it's so that's you know personal personal volunteering and charity great but i'm always suspect when i see the name of finance <laughs> yeah yeah no kidding <laughs> when i see the name of uh like a foundation the carnegie mellon foundation oh, yeah. it's like no remember those guys were just terrible robber barons or you could get real slime bolly and start your own college <laughs> yeah so uh yeah anyway this movie was was great it's good it's 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 worth watching i mean i'm sure if if you're listening again you've you've seen it um some some good life nuggets. It's fun to watch. Well paced. Yeah, and it's got me looking back at Amy uh, Heckerling's career, and I want to go back and revisit Johnny Dangerous Don, Johnny Dangerously, European Vacation, and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Now, the movie did well commercially for her too. I mean, they twelve million dollar budget, banged out eleven million their first weekend, fifty six overall. So it was a it was a nice little nice little hit, and people and people that love it love it. Yeah. And that may that might be coming off Broadway musical at some point. Yeah, if it isn't already. Uh, no, it actually is. Oh, and they're actually doing a remake. Yeah, yeah. They can update this. They, they, I think they're going to. I would have liked to see them do a remake uh, entitled uh, "Selfless," where Josh is an embedded journalist in Syria, murdered by uh, the Taliban, <laughs> and uh, shares a, a doctor without borders in Somalia, and tries to make her way tra- traversing through uh, hostile Muslim countries to get back to expose Josh's murderers. I think that that is the dark sequel that you and I are going to write. I would love to. I would. Lo- I would love to see that movie. Well, uh, everybody, selfless pre-production game. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's sign off. All right, all right, everybody. This is another episode of Eat, Pray, Judge. Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And you can find us on all the social media platforms. Just search, eat, pray, judge. All right. Take care, guys. My homie Snoop drinks the dinner juice and that's all right for the coolio with the flow, sip the yak on ice. Rolling with my heart.